1: LegalizeFreedom.com
0: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Kingsley Dennis, who joins us to discuss his book, Bardo Times. As with so many civilizations of the past, we live in a time of crisis. Contemporary culture is caught in a cul-de-sac, a battle zone of competing ideologies and dogmas. Although the human race has a long history of generating millenarian hype and apocalyptic panics, for many people the state we're in right now really does have an air of gathering gloom and a palpable sense of something's got to give, unlike any in the past. Leaving aside religious rapture fantasies and the techno-utopian view which posits a future of immortal human-machine hybrids populating the galaxy, there are two basic schools of thought concerning what lies ahead. The first essentially predicts the extinction of most, if not all, life on Earth due to environmental collapse. Lights out, game over. The second envisions a sort of slow-motion apocalypse as the natural and man-made systems upon which modern society depends gradually disintegrate, making life as we know it, with its endless expansion and perpetual growth, simply impossible. With obstacles lying in every direction, where do we go from here? Hello and welcome, Kingsley, and thank you so much for joining us once again on legalizedfreedom.com.
1: Hi, Greg. Thanks, and uh, good to be back.
0: Kingsley, today we're going to be talking about uh, some themes spinning off from your new book, Bardo Times. Before we jump into that, just tell listeners a little bit about your background and your work in general.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Greg. Um, well, my background, more or less, has been in sociology. I was working in sociology department in Lancaster in the northwest of England for several years. And I was looking at uh, communication, uh, technologies of communication, globalization, uh, complexity, uh, media, and new media, and that kind of area. And after after several years of working there and working in various institutions around the world, I more or less decided to uh, jump the gun and go freelance. And I went in freelance in 2009 and since then i've been working on various projects um the first book that came out since my leaving the university was in 2011 called new consciousness for a new world and since then i've been looking more or less at similar subjects about the changing world transformations in society technology how we connect how we communicate and there's been the book the struggle for your mind uh, new revolutions for a small planet And and in that area. And generally, I've I've looked towards the kind of future or immediate future. And you know that we've talked about that in the past. Whereas now I've come back more or less to the present and having a look at what's going on around us. And that's what brought me to to the material that I I wrote now.
0: Yeah, so the book very much concerned with the species, society, where we find ourselves right now. Perhaps you could uh, throw some light on that. Uh, by explaining the title, Bardo Times, what you mean by that? Uh, yes, um, well,
1: the thing is, well, first of all, I'd like to say that I spent a lot of time looking into the future and uh, I get to the point where I realised that uh, being looking at the future is probably the the worst business to be in because uh, nobody can really, really know what's coming down the line. And so that kind of brought me to look at the present. Um, but the present is is not really um it's, it's such a jumble at the moment and i've talked in the past about how it's a transition time and it is seeming like we're between two stages it's like we've got off one train waiting for the next one to arrive and we're on the platform and and so much is happening around us and that made me think about the term the bardo, which in in tibetan buddhism is meaning the the time between lives where after one life, you get to in the Buddhist philosophy, you get to reflect about what happened, and you you tend to review it, and you also can get to um, decide about what you wish to accomplish in the life to come, and like you set out a, a plan for like a soul plan before you you come back into into incarnation. Um, the Buddhists also say that if you left your previous life in uh, in let's say a uh, in a confusion or through an accident or, or untimely death, i.e. you didn't leave in preparation, then the bardo time can be a time of confusion and disorientation because you have to reorientate your, where you are, what happened, where you just came from. And also the bardo is in, if you look it up in English or an English dictionary, it tends to refer to it as a liminal zone where things aren't quite clear. And so I thought that was an appropriate term that we are between eras or epochs and we can seem to be disorientated and confused because we haven't really assimilated where we've come from or what got us here and we haven't really got a plan of exactly where we're going. So that kind of confusion and and liminal zone, I thought, was an appropriate title, it may throw a few people off, but uh, I think the times we are in are throwing people off. So um, so there you go.
0: Oddly enough, it's interesting how... People in disparate parts of the world can be having the same thoughts or pursuing the same lines of inquiry or feeling the same things, because not that long before I got a copy of your new book, I'd written a magazine article called uh, uh, The Crisis of the West and the Quest for Meaning. And um, I sent you the text mm-hmm. of that because I was struck when I was reading your book of how many themes were similar, even though my article was just a few thousand words. And uh, But these were things that were going around in my mind very much at the moment and your book really reflected the same kind of concerns, you know, the same kind of ponderings. The sense that I drew out earlier, since sense that I felt earlier, and I think a lot of people are feeling this, is a sense currently of something's got to give. And we're trying to bring a wider perspective to this um in terms of past and future, putting some context on where we are now. But certainly that's a popular sentiment if you look in the media, talk to people in the street. I'm sure we all have that feeling amongst friends and family. Whatever they're whether they're fundamentally optimistic or pessimistic or neutral about the world, there's this kind of sense that it can't go on like this sort of thing, and that that really is something that um, I think is a thread that runs throughout throughout your new book as well.
1: Mm. Oh, for sure, and and I don't think that I've written anything new, um, or I know nothing is that new anyway ever, but I, I do you know, I do feel that it's it's running through, as you say, many people's minds, and I'm not in any way saying that what I'm saying is any different. I just felt that I wanted to have my perspective on it. But you're right, and and it's interesting that, you know, you've been doing this, uh, your legalized freedom for many years, and we've been having these conversations with people around us, but let's say 10 years ago even, or or 12 years ago, these conversations weren't so common, or rather not everyone could could kind of connect with the same. When you speak to people now, it, it is becoming more... Uh, more of a contagion this sense that something isn't right something's got to give we can't go on like this and so the pressure is mounting it's like we are we're feeling we're in this kind of pressure cooker and so on one side all these all these elements that are coming together and converging they have a they have a, a negative side to them because they are out of sync But on the other side though we they may be necessary in order to to get people to be aware, to get the certain trigger points. And so I think, you know, my sense is that we're in this, this tug of war because there's a certain um that it's like a game and certain people that have invested in the status quo, as you you are aware of, and want to keep things as they are, as much as possible. And of course, but so much needs to give that it's pulling against that. It is a kind of duality, a, a kind of, you know, if you want to use a, a academic term a dialectic uh, but from that, something is going to give. But how far down the rabbit hole do we need to go? And that's the kind of question I think is on many people's minds, Greg.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say, you know, that maybe 10 years ago or a little longer than that, that conversations like this weren't so common. I've been thinking about this and what has been changing in the meantime over that sort of time period. Maybe say let's the last 20 years, let's just stretch it out a little bit, basically since the turn of the century. And for me, there were certain events, or if not specifically events in phases, turning points that I think have had a great effect, sometimes very overtly, but certainly on our collective subconscious or unconscious. And I've got some numbers for you here. Uh, 1999, 9 2012. And these were all significant in, I think, moving on the collective consciousness or impacting it in some way, maybe even retarding it in some way. I'll briefly run through them and you can give me your thoughts. 1999 for me and historically this has happened again and again when human societies you're know, coming up to the end of a century or the end of them. A- Millennia. There was certainly in the year nine nine nine, if we can believe uh, chroniclers of history, that there was a lot of nervousness about what would happen. You know, when they moved into a new millennium, and we've been talking. There's been apocalyptic panics throughout human history, but there was a certain feeling towards the end of the 20th century that that the bright shiny new future, you know, the techno utopian future was attainable, and things were moving in that general direction. There was a lot of optimism and a lot of feeling as well that a lot of the nostalgia and looking back that had carried characterised some of those years, would finally, we'd move away from that. You know, it'd be a new century, you know, looking to the future, culture, you know, could be an overhaul and things would just free up a little bit. And what I found is that as the millennium flipped over, was that basically nothing changed. If anything, the Retromania, to use Simon Reynolds, the author um, of the book Retromania, to use his phrase concerning popular culture, it just seemed to go into overdrive. So there was that kind of oh something's got to change, but it didn't. I think that was an important point. I don't think that maybe was a lot of people have really understood that. Nine Eleven, we all know what happened on that day, and yeah, it's a cliché to say it changed everything. But I do think, for better or worse, uh some people benefited greatly from that. I feel that, it, that my own consciousness opened up somewhat after that. It was a can I say it like this without sounding just disrespectful or controversial? But it was almost like a a privilege to live through something like that in human history, an awful event like that, but something that perhaps was necessary in some way. 2012, we all know about that, all the hype leading up to that, and it was another something's got to change, a different subset of humanity uh, wanting desperately for things to change. And then, of course, surprise, surprise, nothing did. So those are just some dates I've pulled out of the calendar, and I just feel they were Significant. And there's been more dates like that in the past, more phases, and no doubt there they will be in the future. It remains to be seen.
1: Yes, Greg, you're right. And, you know, there, there always have been and always will be these, these significant markers as the dates you've, you've just put forth. And also there are aspects and, and zeitgeist that come into cultures. So just to kind of, uh, you know, kind of add to what you put forth, um, you're right, because, I mean, out of the seventies, uh, the people who lived through the seventies, we had, I mean, 70s was a bit disruptive because there was the Middle East war as well, and that came after 67 war. Then there was the, the oil crisis. Um, and that, that, that pushed a lot of people into uncertainty. But then the 80s came from that. And especially in, in America with the Reagan years, there was a lot of money going around and a lot of wealth being created. And then you had this optimism uh, in moving forward, which then, um, what I call went into the kind of filofax generation you may remember in the 80s and 90s people were you know these, these kind of yuppies and this phrase of of the entrepreneurs people making it and that was all revving up into the the Millennium and as you rightly said Millennium always has a a very significant uh, psychic pinpoint in people's minds this kind of golden age comes around Millennium but of course then we had the Millennium bug and the Millennium didn't lead to anything Um but shortly after, of course, there was this, this very significant event of of nine eleven, which, as you rightly say, impacted people's consciousness, because really it was it was a, a a targeting date that was perhaps unprecedented with its media coverage, and it was this combination of the psychic sphere and the media sphere combining visually uh, that the impact has been, uh, I think, unprecedented. And, um, and of course, 2012, which was a combination of, of, you know, the historic, the uh, history with, with the Mayan calendar coming into the, the zeitgeist and being utilized by this kind of internet generation. And, and I think it melded with this internet, uh, youth, internet kind of memes, which was newsphere um, all coming together, which gave it such heightened height. And so there were, they were markers. And I'd also like to point out that another marker, uh, a bit further, a bit before that in the 80s was the, the plan- planetary convergence, which was, uh, partly involved, uh, Jose Aguilas. And I think the planetary convergence has been noted as, as a, a, a mark on the positive side of bringing together this, this collective mind, collective intelligence, collectivity on the planet. So I think really, as you say, there's been these, these inputs and and that all helped to, to have this conversation about the global mind, the global brain, the global collectivity, which is really the playing field we're on. So everything has kind of been sowing the seeds to have these, these references we can talk about and they've all been very significant markers.
0: Yeah, well, it seems that there was been a lot of things that have been discussed, potential developments, uh, good, bad, and indifferent. But they still were in the future or hypothetical, theoretical, yet to be tested. They were being worked towards or moved towards, but you know we weren't there yet. So, and you know there might have been problems with some of the visions for the future and some problems with the way we're operating in the present in the world. But it was always just saying, yeah, what we can kind of model on for the time being. What I'm specifically thinking of here is that we've had a sort of an industrial age which has been running now for several centuries, uh, and now a techno-industrial age that we've been moving through. And that paradigm was always intended to, or the promise was for the rest of us anyway, that it would lead through to um more of a, just more of the same really. But, you know, the whole, remember the talk in the past of the the leisure lifestyle, you know, three-day weeks, space tourism, robots performing mundane tasks. Uh, while all that stuff was being done, rubbish would be collected, cars would be manufactured, food would be harvested by robots. Uh, you and I will be sitting in the park reading poetry and drinking wine and it all be just fine and dandy. We might be able to have a weekend on the moon. So where we are now, it feels that the techno-industrial paradigm is kind of exhausted. Uh, we've got increasing problems, you know, economic, environmental, steadily getting worse. Even today on the news, there was a report here in the UK that whatever you think about global warming or climate change, put that to one side. But the news was that CO2 emissions from domestic homes, which is supposed to be decreasing is actually, I mean, increasing here in the UK. And I'm sure it's the same in, in most industrialized nations. At the same time, that promise of that utopian future, techno utopian future, it's always just around the corner and it seems further away than ever almost. So it's almost like well, we've got this one mode going that'll lead into this other one. But now one is faltering and the new one hasn't arrived yet. And we mm. see that, you know, consumerism is stuttering, economic growth is faltering. And people's more and more people's thinking about the future is, you know, apop- apocalyptic visions are sort of the norm now. Talking about Bardo times, I mean, I think that's my way of expressing one version of it is, you know, this one fee is supposed to seek seamlessly into another. So it's like what we have is kind of falling apart and what we were promised has not been delivered yet.
1: Yeah, rightly so. And, and this is kind of the, the, the in-between phase where we say, well, what's going on? And you're right, you know, you're right in that in the past we had this, this utopian kind of Jetson image, you know, where in your jetpack you come into your family and your food pops up from your table and, and all these images. Um, and, and I feel what I feel is is was um, going on there is that there were parallel modes of thinking, but they were all linear modes. And I think we suffered from linear forecasting because most forecasts and futurists they they all they did was they extended the timeline, so you know if we 're here now in twenty years we'll be there if our advancements will go as we predict, and you know we suffered from this linear thinking, and as you rightly have have described some of the uh, the mess we're in is that it's, it's it's systemic, and we didn't employ a systemic view uh uh, earlier enough and so this technology was just i uh, say let's just extend to the future so if we if we if we went to the moon in from the 60s onwards therefore we'll have colonies on the moon and we'll go and visit the moon but it hasn't been that way and of course the first uh the first kind of ai meetings in the 50s where they talked about this technology and, and norbert weiner um coined cybernetics. It's in the 50s and we thought they thought that by the sixties and seventies would have AI. But what's what's happening now is that we're seeing a convergence of not just linear technologies but disruptive technologies. And I'm talking about a nanotechnology, nano bioengineering, and of course the the algorithmic um kind of deep learning that's going on. And so not only is the technology becoming disruptive and systemic but it's now hitting from all different areas it's converging so it's not talking about are we going to have holidays on the moon it's we're now talking about well if we combine nanotechnology with biotechnology and have implants in the mind which can connect with cloud technologies and AI where does that leave us and the answer is we don't know because we're not used to we haven't been in a situation we've had so many converging disruptive technologies and so Um, and the environment as well, as you, as you picked up on and, and other elements, these are systemic, uh, complex systems, which we didn't have, uh, that perception of them in that way early enough. And so everything's coming home and hitting home. And the, and it seemed like it's coming so fast. There is this sense of high velocity, hyper reality because, you know, it's like, like waiting for a bus in in England and nothing comes. And then, you know, all of a sudden five buses come. And I think that's where we are now with our technology. It's all convergent. And um we're we're just it's all so new, Greg.
0: Ah, uh, well, it's interesting you speak about speed uh development of um technology. And uh, other you know dimensions of life in general. You talk about uh, speed and also volume, as in terms of um, amount, but also probably in terms of loudness as well. You, there's a phrase you use in the book, the global sensorium, uh, and this reflects the interconnectedness of the world at the minute and the you know the multi-sense uh, environment that we live in, stimulating every uh, every one of our senses in so many different ways. Lots of people have talked about the pace of life, how that's you know, been a concern throughout. Certainly, the 20th century it was. You know, we can't keep moving at this pace, or you know, things are moving too fast, and that has only accelerated in the 21st century. So it's more of a concern than ever, and a lot of people are struggling with the pace of life. They are. Lots of people talk about, you know, the old cliche of being resource rich but time poor, but increasingly people are resource poor and time poor as well. If you see what I mean, and yet there's some there is something about it that feels. does have a sort of evolutionary drive to it but that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be casualties along the way so I think that we do need to embrace a combination of continuity and change, that's kind of one of the characteristics of evolution itself but at the minute it does feel like and this is this I think is a uh, matches up with what I said earlier it 's another dimension of what I said earlier about something's got to give that a lot of people are feeling under such intense pressure in so many ways that, that you know, they can't continue like this so we we kind of unleashed this um technological phase of advancement that's kind of taken on its own life now i mean to, to you know, thinking of AI, for example almost literally
1: I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room because. What was for me, as well as linear thinking, what was one of the biggest faults of, of this kind of, uh, perception and, uh, viewpoint that was going on previously is that hardly anybody talked about human consciousness and, or rather they didn't talk about it as being part of the program as participating what's going on so people said yeah we know we're going to go to the moon we don't have this but no one actually felt well what's actually will be the impact on human consciousness and we are having that talk today which is which is good because it's a huge elephant in the room and so as you rightly said this 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 mix of technologies this this sense of high velocity and and things speeding up is impacting on our psych because the world is just not a collection of materiality or a collection of objects or or life is a we life is a psychosphere it's it's a you know it's a mental uh sphere as well as a physical one and we are talking about that now with the you know such terms as a collective brain and the global brain etc and and you know pierre de chardin talked about that in in his uh new sphere and so what i feel is going on is that well, when we talk about the world, we have to talk in the same breath as the psychosphere because our consciousness is a part of that. And evolutionary mechanisms, as you touched upon, well, our brain, the human brain was, was hardwired for a totally different environment. And the brain hasn't really changed much in, in the, in the thousands of years that we've developed. We've gone through different civilizational phases, but the brain, hasn't really uh rewired itself and and this is the thing which i which is important to me is that i think we're in a phase now where we have to consider seriously uh, what does it mean to rewire our brains because neuroscience has said that there is this aspect called neuroplasticity whereby the way you you know if you use your brain differently it will rewire itself and kind of cut off old connections and make new connections so i think That depends on the impacts, external impacts we have to go through, internal life, i.e. our stresses, uh, our emotional mental states, and also our involvement with, let's say, devices, technologies, how we interact with them, how we interface will also create new brain patterns. So I think we're in a moment where by... Uh, we don 't really know what 's happening on, happening in our heads. all we know is that there 's a lot going on, and so that 's part of the that 's part of the equation it 's the planetary changes it 's the technological social changes and it 's the the feedback mechanisms which is a loop going on with human consciousness greg and I think that is um you know that, that's that 's all the bigger picture
0: yeah I think that the or a lot of us are struggling with the pace of change also just how uh, How many different things, how many different advances are on how many different fronts? And a lot of these systems and technologies are potentially enormously beneficial. Can we imagine a world now without the internet, for example, Mm -hmm. across which you and I are speaking now? Uh, Very, very difficult to envisage. Uh, So the great potential benefits, a lot of these technologies, but it's almost like we haven't had time to assimilate them or we're using them unconsciously. We're getting caught up in this sort of frenzy uh, and we're not having time. Disconnected time to sit back and and look and say just what's going on here, what's good in this, what's potentially negative in this. So we have this tremendously connected globe now, and yet we're very disconnected in many ways within it, disconnected from the world beyond our technology, the natural world, which we are part of, uh, disconnected from each other in many ways. You know, we think of people sitting in the same room all on their devices, not talking to each other. I've even heard of people in the same room sending t- a text message to one another, past the salt sort of thing, new <laughs> <your> text. <laughs> and dis- yeah. disconnected from ourselves in many ways. So I don't think there's any going back from any of this in some ways, despite what uh, uh, some thinkers would like to see. But um, I-, I just think that we're-, we're not integrating the technology and the advances terribly well at the minute. I think it's a case of like the tail wagging the dog, in some sense
1: yeah and, and I think we have to realize that uh, the technology is also very new you know we you mentioned the internet well I think uh, the the World Wide Web that uh, WWW that Tim Berners-Lee put out I think it was only published in 94 and we've only really you know had commercial uh, internet really for for maybe 25 years. Um, but all these technologies, especially the, the, te- the dangerous technologies of, of surveillance and hacking is really very, very, very new, especially in, in, uh, let's say civilizational terms. And even, even in terms of evolutionary, it's, it's, a, it's a tiny millisecond. So the bottom line is, is that we've got new toys and we haven't learned how to use them yet. And the old adage is that with some, you know, someone with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think that's more or less, you know, in a crude way, uh, catches it is that we have the technologies and we use them in very basic ways. Um, we haven't really uh, pro- absorbed them, assimilated them, or really developed ourselves as mature species to to really amplify on them. And it will come. So I am positive that given time, uh, we will be able to to um, understand how to use our technologies. But you're right; is that they they are they embedded and ingrained in our life. Uh, far more than we perhaps give them credit or realise. So you know, we wouldn't fly, we wouldn't travel by planes, we wouldn't have our energy grids, we wouldn't have our uh, groceries in the shops on time. You know, we wouldn't have um, no, <laughs> most of our modern cars wouldn't work anymore. We wouldn't have navigation systems. We wouldn't have basically the infrastructure that now characterises our modern life if it were not for the technological. Smart systems, which are moving more and more towards deep learning systems and, and algorithms So we have a we already have a dependency on them But the question is is like how we need a healthy dependency. We need to be a participating uh, Techno ecosystem you're right. We can't go back. You know the is out the box You know we the tractor does not go back to the plow and I don't think we're going to go back to a pre-digital age the question is we need to mature Consciously and spiritually as a species to learn how to to really work with technologies, so we are in a harmonious relationship and they work for us, not that we are slaves to them, which is what's happening. And also the gameplay is that technologies are are being uh, overly manipulated by uh, small invested. Uh, in, You know, invested interests and that is also creating an imbalance. So we haven't yet reached to, we, we're on the road to democratizing technology. Such technologies that we're using now, the communications are more democratized than ever before, but still not to the point where they need to be. So all that is still in the, in the mix. And we are like, um, we're like infants in the playground and we need time to grow up with our technologies. That's how I see it.
0: The promise of the internet was always democratisation, wasn't it, of information and access to information. And, of course, it got co-opted quite quickly because, like, oh, someone's got to pay for this. Not least, even just something as mundane as, as you know, as advertising, you know, it kind of corrupts it in a way, uh, the, this, the, the information. And then other people bring agendas to bear because, you know, if so many people are getting their information from this, the source or sources, I mean, obviously the internet is full of garbage and full of wisdom at the same time, but it, it concentrates a lot of attention in a way. So of course people are going to want to harness that for their own ends, you know, sometimes benign, well-meaning, sometimes malevolent, but whatever in the news these days is lots of talk about fake news, alternative facts and everything else. And in many ways, I mean, I read articles and listen to commentary uh, on a regular basis. And sometimes I think, ah, yes, uh, we're becoming as a species, you know, collectively out there in interwebland, we're becoming more difficult to bamboozle. You know, it's, it's harder for them to get their BS past us. And then sometimes I'll hear or read something. Oh, actually it seems to be getting easier in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, but I think the tension between those two, it, it very much reflects the tone of the conversation we've had so far about being in this transitory phase and we're not quite sure where things are going. So it's becoming harder and simultaneously easier to bamboozle the masses
1: well i said it is going back to the old old ways of propaganda and uh, it's just a different platform and the the there's a interesting book called the master switch by timothy wu um an us academic who looked at the history of telecommunications into the internet and there's always been a pattern of centralization it it's just the way that the industry has worked so what i think we have is is that you know the old adage is you know whoever built whoever builds a house on sand will collapse we don't have our foundations right, and the foundations are the models of our of our societies. You know, we we had we've gone through certain phases, and the latest one has been this idea of of modern democracy, um, and especially in um, in the Western world and the U.S. world has been on neoliberalism and the the kind of capitalist uh, free market and all that, but it's no longer working. It's gotten, it's gotten us to hit where we are now, but it's not going to take us any further. And so we have to change our models. And I think that's the fundamental thing is that we're going into a new world. We have to think differently. We have to uh, have different perceptions and, and a different type of consciousness, therefore to create new models whereby the technology will work. Because at the right now, as you say, it all new technologies is coming in to, to, it's like putting new one into old bottles. Technology is coming in, but it's falling in the hands of of those who are manipulating it. And fake news is is a real problem because that totally undermines any sense of of uh, the democracy of information, which of course is what the the masses, the people, wish for. And what is trying to be taken away from us. Um, now, I mentioned that in in the of Times, I mentioned uh, I gave an, an example of algorithms writing a news article, and there are now increasingly are many news articles which are just um you know the ones that aren't maybe the center stage but other news articles have been increasingly written by algorithms and as you may have heard that china now has um last year they put out a a, a male ai news anchor now they've just have a they've complemented that with a female ai news anchor so not only are the ai reading the news but i think behind the scenes algorithms are creating news but also creating fake news um, they now have software that, that can more or less replicate anybody and visually put their faces on and, and um, falsify the image. So how do we know what's true? And this is a game we're playing now, is that the playing field, you know, not only are we questioning what's what's true and what is news and what is information, we're now questioning what is reality. And and that's the bad of times, is that we have what I call the hyper-real. And um and that is is creating a great amount of confusion, problems, and that's what we have to deal
0: with. Well, one of the uh, popular old saying is that you know knowledge is power. That was prompted to think recently is knowledge power, and I think what I mean by that is like a lot of people confuse knowledge with with information because we've never had more information at our fingertips at any time in the past. But it's a question of like what we do with that. But even before you consider that. You know, can we understand? How do we interpret what is in front of us? And I think information in itself is almost of limited use if you don't know how to uh, interpret it, refine it and do something with it. But for a lot of people, just, you know, the sheer volume information, besides being just overwhelming and having a, you know, very negative impact on their lives because they're trying to assimilate all this stuff and it's coming at them left, right and center is not knowing what they're actually seeing, what they're hearing, what, what is this, what is the message here? What, what can I glean from this? Is this actually of any value whatsoever? And that feeds into what I was saying earlier about being easier to, for us to be bamboozled and also more difficult. Um, it's just trying to understand fact from fiction and useful from useless in this deluge and, and not all this stuff coming down the line at us is, Intended to bamboozle us but it can be used that way and I think we get a lot of... and this goes right back to the days when they first would put um, big screens in public places and just have sort of the 24-7 news cycle there with or without sound. Uh, I remember um, in one city I used to live in in one of the big civic squares... They installed this, and God knows how big it was. It was like one of those screens you could see at a rock festival, you know. So if you're, if you're half a mile from the stage, you can still see, you know, the singer's eyes, that type of thing. And it would have this, you know, rolling 24-7 news with all the the ticker tape type feed down at the bottom. And it was all just say, you know, that you're, you're so empowered. You're so up to the, minute you're up to speed you know here's what's happening here here's what's happening here and if that's not enough down here you've got the stock market latest you know and currency valuations and what have you and it's just what are we actually supposed to do with this and in many ways it's just trying to say you no know, to tell you what's important out there so you like pretend that this stuff is somehow important as opposed to finding trying to find your own way you wade your own way through all of this you know swamp of data uh to discern some kind of meaning
1: yeah you're right it it is kind of overload, and um you know I kind of term it the the as you said the global sensorium it's like a sensory overload, and now information um you know before it, you have a piece of information and you're right, you have power, you have something that you can use something which gives of worth now it's been so swamped it also my sense is that this this uh overload of information is a is a way to to bring people into the noise to to get us into the whole. Hubble bubble of everything <clears throat> because if, if you're distracted and and participating in the news and and reading it all the time and wanting to find out and 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 want to follow it or get the latest what, what you end up doing is playing the game playing the system and you you don't you can't see out of it it's a way of kind of dragging you in and my my take on this as well is that this is this this sensorium and this this overload of information and this full-on um kind of hyper bubble that we're all in all being included in is that it's exteriorizing our lives and it's taken away those space of of uh the internalizing internalizing meaning of uh self reflection uh pulling back trying to understand our, our inner landscape what's going on with ourselves trying to look after ourselves we we've kind of having i think in, in modern life is putting people more in just coping with the externals and just you know running running around with this game and that um I feel that we've we've taken away from the inner worth of the individual. And this is an important question because if we go back to the major things we've been talking about, i.e. technology and AI, is that um one of the questions that comes from AI, which I think is the major question, is um what makes us human? and it's going to be the question of our humanity which is going to save us because that's the one question that we really really need to develop in order to be on a coherent harmonious playing field with technology we have to develop our humanity not the reverse i.e like um, films such as surrogates where people sit in their chairs you know and just becoming becoming fat and let their avatars you know do the life for them is that it's reverse now And I my hope is that the question of this technology will trigger us to re to really think in depth what is what is it that really makes us human and how can we develop those aspects of our humanity that can then engage with technology. But if we're too busy being exteriorized and being involved with this noise, these screens, this this information, then we're losing that touch of the interiorization. And I think that's also part of the gameplay that we're we we're, we're involved in right now, Greg.
0: Well, thinking about you know this volume of sort of infotainment uh, through the media and pop culture and uh, you know politics and and everything else, I'm reminded of the film The Matrix. Uh, most people listening will be familiar with that. And in it, there's a conversation between one of the dark suits, one of the agents, and I can't remember if it's the main character, Neo, or someone else, but basically they're explaining the the architecture of the Matrix and saying that there had been a previous version of it that was kind of too perfect. Uh, you know, this artificial reality was created for humans, but they rejected it because everything was too good. And I almost wonder sometimes if some of us are complicit in this kind of dumbing down and this duping, like we're asking to be duped. Uh, we're asking to, to be distracted with the ticker tape nonsense about the stock market and about currency prices and about celebrity gossip and about award ceremonies and dancing on ice and all the rest of it. Yeah. You name it. Because the questions that you were posing in a minute about, you know, the, the big questions asking about where we might be in terms of our evolution. Uh, in, particularly in the context of consciousness that's that's somehow to be avoided. It's almost easier to just wallow in this kind of the sea of garbage and to like put off contemplating about you know our our potential or where we are now or even danger and and threats that currently exist um it's like you know the person who's going bankrupt and they take all the letters from the bank and and you know put them in the garbage you know that type of thing.
1: Yeah, no, you you're spot on there, and I, I, without a doubt, I think there are um, uh, those people and who make a choice that they just want a what they call a a comfortable lifestyle, because these questions, um, they they can't deal with them, and maybe psychologically they they block them off, and they just want to have this go home and have some entertainment, you know, and have uh, online streaming and and have everything at the touch of a button, which then also gives them release from perhaps a very stressful working life. So you know psychologically, they may require this break, which for me is is a kind of part of the built in program and you you know you mentioned the matrix and i and uh, I think you perhaps pointing to a a conversation where they had in the second film with the architect, and the architect says um that you know you rightly said the the first version was was too perfect, so we had to create anomalies, and it's those anomalies which help the system now to maintain itself because um we humans can psychologically understand the world if it's full of anomalies. You know, and and the world is full of that. Um, You know, I I like to make, you know, the reference to, like, things like the famous, well, let's say, um, any rock stars who think they're going against the system by being rebellious, and they go to hotels, and they, they break TVs, and they throw things out the window, you know, and they get all these news coverage about the big, bad rock band. It's all basically playing into the system because... All they're doing is creating publicity to sell more records. And the record companies are are sitting back, you know, counting the dollars. And when you're you're rebelling, these are kind of anomalies built into the system. They're kind of cliché anomalies. If you're a real anomaly, then you are a danger to the system. But if you take these cliché anomalies, then you just feed it. Um, But as you say, most... There are a percentage of people who just don't really want to ask these questions, and for some reason block them off. But I think we, you know, we need to ask them. And um, and I think there's another wonderful film that I that I, I like to refer to, and it came before the Matrix, and I'm sure you know it. It's the Truman Show, and and I think the Truman Show and the Matrix are both examples of this type of gnostic viewpoint, whereby we're living in this artificial world, which. Doesn't feel right because it's not truly human. There's something wrong with it, but yet it is just made right enough where, whereby most people can live by it, unless you're triggered. And the question is, what are those triggers, go- triggers going to be? You mentioned 9/11, and uh, have been and will be other triggers, um, but we don't know where they're going to come from. And unless we get these triggers, we may just keep feeding the system, and the system keeps feeding us.
0: We're talking about people being content to sort of uh, go home and turn on the TV and turn off their minds and just eat their junk food or whatever, just get through another day, try not to deal with this assault from outside, try not to ask any big questions, try not to look at themselves, where they are, where they're going, where we are. And I'm wondering if the, the pressure on that now, you know, this point has come up a couple of times, about you know economic systems unraveling and about the much vaunted promised techno utopian future kind of not arriving on time and looking increasingly distant whether that in itself is some kind of evolutionary development just say you can't keep doing this you know we we hear a lot about the erosion of the middle classes in industrial societies it's getting harder for people to be complacent to just you know have a salve of wine and entertainment or just material acquisition and status and what have you, just to model through life like that. It's getting harder to do. It can feel often we, th- we think about the you know, higher purpose of human existence and maybe like self-actualization to think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And in some ways you can look around it and feel that we're going backwards in that. You know, More people are having, concer- having to concern themselves with the basics of life, You know, shelter and mm-hmm. food and what have you. But maybe all of what I've just mentioned is part of, that something's got to give impulse. You know, maybe we are being pushed. Maybe we're doing it to ourselves without realising it. Just saying, nope, time to move on. You know, you, you can't stay stuck in this loop any longer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's an element of individual responsibility as well as collectively. And you mentioned uh, Maslow's hierarchy, and I do feel the similar is that modern life is 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 um, pushing people into just maintaining the basics, i.e., a roof over your head and uh, you know social needs and family needs and economic needs so really any idea of true self-development and i don't mean you know i don't mean kind of um easy self-help which is going on a lot in the modern world but i mean true self-development or or self transcendental development it's a luxury it really is a luxury because people don't have the resources in, in the modern world and across the world of course to deal with that and uh, out across the world there's even more basic necessities just by getting enough food to see you through the day and and a roof over your head as well so but also as you rightly said uh, there's a sense by those who are looking into it that this can't carry on and the world is I mean there are big players in the world and they're not stupid they're very clever They may not be wise but they're clever and there is a distinction and so for example when we had the huge economic crash in uh, September 2008 a lot of people thought that this has to signal change but it's just been um you know stuck together by sellotape and plasters and we've kept on going and the question is well you know, don't the big players realize what's coming down the line they can't hold on forever and of course they can't so the way i see is that the system has been maintained been uh, patched together just long enough for the big players to get their hands in the new system which is coming down the line so if we take, I mean, I think two big players here are energy and finance. They're really, that's where the money is, energy and finance. In terms of finance, well, um, I think it's very likely um, that we're going to move into a digital economy. And the cryptocurrencies such as, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're major players. But so far, they they are not uh, game players, i.e. they're not run by by the big players. And I think just last week Goldman Sachs announced that they have introduced their own cryptocurrency, which for now, now they're only using internally with their own client, but of course that's stage one. And and I think most most um kind of state banks are now looking to cryptocurrencies. So my sense is that once the big players have this set up, then they'll want to declare that we are moving into, into digital currency because they've got a handle on it. Same with energy. They've been holding onto fossil fuels because they've been looking into other alternatives and they're not letting go of fossil fuels until they can get a big enough stake in the energies, which may be, um, maybe certain renewable energies and electric energies. So we are moving into that area, but I think it's been held off long enough for the big players to then say, okay, we're now going to provide this, which is the new, new, but they want to get their, their stake in it. And they're footing it first, that That's how it seems to be.
0: I mentioned uh, towards the top of the hour about dystopian visions, whether just in people's minds or reflected out into culture and indeed into real world events. They're kind of like the norm. Although we're told that, you know, as a species, we have a negativity bias. That's just, you know, part of who we are. I've often wondered if the dystopian visions that we see presented so often now in popular culture. You know, you just look at all the, a lot of the, you know, top rated, uh, TV shows and movies and what the visions of the future are about. And it's almost like it's kind of, it's hip and it's kind of trendy and it's kind of, yeah, you know, whatever form of dystopia it is that, you know, that things are going badly and they're going to get worse, whether it's kind of some sort of slow motion collapse or whether it's an apocalyptic event and that any positive visions of the future are kind of like naive and, and, uh, you know, and unfashionable and like almost childish. Even the transhumanist cheerleaders who are sort of trying to be optimistic about, you know, human future and, you know, AI and man machine hybrids and cloud technology and everything else. They're sort of besieged by almost like by events catching up with them and overtaking them, you know, that stuff becoming economically and materially very difficult and seeming Further away, so I've often wondered to what extent there's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy going on of doom and gloom, uh, or whether it's actually being actively propagated by sections of of society for their own ends. Uh, I'm still, I think it's probably a combination of both, to be honest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I probably agree with you, a combination of both, but both feed into a feedback cycle. So all you have to do is just, you know, feed it at one end, and then it gets kind of uh, Amplify the other end, which then goes in feedback again. And I think it is useful uh, to look at the, the popular cultural memes. Um, the, the well-known writer, Philip K. Dick, once said that if you want to find God, you have to find, look in the trash. Um, now that's not a slight on religion. What I'm saying, what he was saying is that you will find some elements of what's going on or, or elements of, you know, the transcendental in popular culture and in, in, in the, the trashy pulp pulp culture because in his day science fiction was the the pulp writing and uh, now it's now it's more mainstream so if you you look at um, i think three three areas that have been have come up very strongly in cultural memes is recently in the last few years let's say the last five six seven years one, one is is the as you rightly said the the armageddon uh meme the kind of breakdown end of the world zombies the other one is the superheroes and uh, mutants and the third one i think is is biological like viruses and, and pandemics and so if you look at that they, they do tie in, tie in because um the, the the superheroes is all about mutant superheroes and although we have spider-man and batman the ones that have come to the fore recently through the marvel and dc worlds they're all kind of augmented humans and, and mutated, which, which call, which also falls into the, the biological virus meme. As if, as if we're being told that there is a kind of evolutionary mutation taking place within the human being. Uh, we don't know how it's going to take us, but it's, it's taking us to a future whereby, example, in the X-Men, the mutants are seen as, as being a danger to society and they're a new form which are not accepted, but they're there to help the world and it's these are perhaps the new anomalies coming through whereby the new rewiring of our brains the new the new thinking the new consciousness is bringing people in which they're not like the old system they are kind of internal mutants and on the other side we have these these apocalyptic uh memes that which i do think also are being propagated as well this fear mongering because fear fear weakens the human immune system and wants us to seek safety and comfort and where do you seek safety and comfort you seek it in the the hand that provides it i.e the the overreaching system and it's like it's kind ironic that that you know if you look look at a film of, of zombies and then look at uh videos from black friday's with people banging on the doors of supermarkets, you won't see much difference. You know, I think the dawn of the dead and Black Fridays are pretty much the same picture, which is ironic. So, so I think there's, there's this undercurrent of we could be doing a kind of zombiness to ourselves if we fall in, in laziness to this mutational change is happening in society or we could take responsibility and engage with this change and cre- and create a positive pandemic, which is a, a mutation internally of human being to be um, better evolved and better wired to the world that's coming into play. And again, that I think that is a duality, the zombie or the positive mutation group.
0: Yeah, there's a central point that you've made which I want to address. I'll do that just in a second. But before I do that, um, I don't want to forget to ask you about your general feelings about AI. And transhumanism in very general terms, I think that the, some of the hopes and some of the promise of it is kind of misplaced in terms of like artificial consciousness. That is to say, somehow generating consciousness within a machine or some kind of computerized system. I think it misunderstands what consciousness is. And in terms of transplanting it, your consciousness or my consciousness into some other vessel again i think is misunderstanding how this works i'm not anti kind of any and all research and developments in this area but i just think that a lot of it is misunderstood and i'm not certainly putting money into shares in some of these companies and expecting any kind of big payout any time soon and i think the techno-utopians amongst us, you know, the Ray Kurzweils of this world, they're, as I've mentioned several times, I think they're kind of singularity dates and what have you keep getting pushed back a little bit. So again, I'm not, not anti-progress, I'm not anti-futurist, but um, I, I just think in general there's a lot of hype around it that um, I don't think will come to pass, but uh, as with many things I'm prepared to be proven wrong. Uh, because as we've been talking about, things are moving so fast, change is happening all around us. You know, We have to be prepared to modify our view and take on new information. I think that in itself is one of the things that we're struggling with. That things are moving so fast and people are stuck with fixed views of uh, of themselves, of the world around them, of reality in itself.
1: Yeah, and I, I would agree with you on that point of, of this tech singularity. And I think it comes back to the issue of the elephant in the room, is that if you put let's say, a hundred of the world's top scientists and neuroscientists and technologists and engineers or whatever in, in one room and say, what is consciousness? You'll get a hundred different answers. Is That no one actually knows what consciousness is. So how can we start even ha- you know making statements about uploading our consci- consciousness into a machine or AI or into an AI cloud, which is what Kurzweil now wishes? Um, because... We have no idea what consciousness is. So some AI researchers are doing the the back engineering model. Some are doing the uh, mapping model. Uh, some are doing the deep learning model. I mean, no one can really agree. So there's a difference between having a smart machine and having a a truly conscious machine. And I'm with you there. That I'm a I, I'm a great supporter of technological progress and advancement. And I do feel that our future will be in participating with our technological developments. But the human isn't done yet. And although the human may be augmented, we've been augmented for a long while just by wearing reading glasses and hearing aids and pacemakers, we will increasingly be augmented on a, on a on a physical sense to to help prolong and give comfort to our lives, especially through injury or suffering. But in terms of consciousness, we haven't even touched the, the tip of the iceberg. And I don't see any time soon Of having any kind of of, uh, silicon AI uh, any kind of infrastructure or machine having an element of uh, conscious awareness and so I think I think that is overestimated I think we're going to have very very sophisticated AI machines and algorithms that will be able to do things that humans cannot do but they won't have conscious awareness that we know of. And so, so yes, I, I agree on that point. I think the transhumanists are, are, are over-optimistic. I think they're, they're right about a lot of aspects of technology, but they don't fully, I feel, give credit or understand human consciousness.
0: All right. Well, the um, point I just wanted to, I'll go back to just re- reflecting on something that you said a few moments ago before we talked about AI. At the minute, we're facing this situation of uh, increasing strain being put on many of our the systems that we depend on uh, technological and also natural as well but everything is increasingly interconnected, never been more interconnected, again in terms of virtually, you know, online and physically in terms of like industrial systems and how food and, and clothes and, and, and all the material goods that we have how they're manufactured, how they're moved around the world then also how the combination of the virtual world and the real world happens in terms of the money system you know because so much of that is like computerized now and virtual but yet it impacts our day-to-day life you know we all sort of like we get paid or we earn money we use that to live one node of the system uh, experiences shut down then though the the internet was designed to be, to be you know in nodes so that didn't all kind of collapse in one go we we saw with the economic uh, crisis of 2008, 2009, or 2007, 2008, I should say. This cascading collapse that can happen. You get a problem in one area and it suddenly affects something else and that tips over into something else. And these kind of hypothetical virtual systemic problems then start impacting on the real 3D world that we're all living in. So that, that can, those sort of problems can arise for all sorts of reasons and they can spiral out of control very quickly. Then you've also got people who want to undo the systems that we're currently living with, you know, feeling that we've gone too far too fast. Some of them quite benign, just saying, you know, maybe like some of the sentiments that you you and I have expressed, you know, let's just keep one foot in the real world and let's just be aware of what we're doing, make conscious decisions about where we're going and just not get caught up and just blinded by technology and what have you. Uh, but there's people who are a bit more malign about that. And these people have existed throughout human history. Uh, disruptors, you know, from the barbarians that, uh, picked over the, the carcass of Rome, uh, the Luddites in the early days of the Industrial Revolution. And then as we moved into the technological age, you had, you know, people like John Zerzan in the seventies and eighties, uh, Ted Kaczynski, you know, the, Un- the Unabomber, uh, these people who felt that we're on the wrong path and that we needed to be sort of like, bombed, in in some cases literally. Not If not back to the Stone Age, then certainly back to more egalitarian, more basic time. So where I'm going with all this is that some of the possibilities I'm talking about there, I think they remain real, but I don't feel that our evolution, the evolution of consciousness, us moving forward as a species, should be or needs to be dependent on technological toys. I think that I don't know what's happening with our physical evolution, but I feel that this may be the phase of our existence. It's about the evolution of the mind of consciousness.
1: It goes back to what we talked about earlier: is that you know we 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 need a systemic understanding perception of of where we are because everything is interrelated and we weren't fully cognizant of that earlier and i think perhaps part of our i think part of the let's say uh, james Lovelock's gay hypothesis in the 70s helped us to and the ecological movement first helped us to have a, a realization of this systemic interconnectivity now in this complex world that you've rightly put forward there are many things invisible to and and You say we get we get things next day delivered. We have everything on time. We don't realise that there's a huge black networks and um, huge overseas uh, overseas, let's say offshore uh, financial accounts, whereby a huge majority of the world's financial uh, resources are stored there, etc. We don't realise that a lot of our supply chains are supplied overseas by um, people in poorer and of putting conditions so all this is going on but on, on the face of it we have this wonderful technology so it's not all wonderful and utopian and I think we are but we, there is a possibility that we're buying into it just a little bit too much thinking that it is uh, the, the panacea for all our woes and as you put it rightly is that when you have these uh, complex systems you don't need a big a big trigger to cause disruption because just a, a small intervention can cause a system collapse. And so now we have dangers of, like, say, uh, internet hackers, whereby hackers can easily get into major energy grids, uh, financial grids, mm. and steal your data. So a small change can cause great disruption. And I think we, we need to be aware of that, that we don't have over-dependency on systems that can take everything away from us. So... The question is, we can use this technology in a way whereby actually we can live in a more, uh, almost stepping back, not stepping back to the stone but stepping back into a more, uh, in a better, into a rhythm which suits human beings. And to give an example, I mean, I, I am technologically, uh, inclined. I, I do love technology and love to, to use, to use it and understand it. But I live in the countryside. Um, I don't have water mains, I live off a water well, um, I live off bottled gas, um, I don't have a landline, I have a satellite antenna, and so if I had the means, I would go, and this is where my thinking is taking me, I would like to go completely off-grid, and I would like to see more communities using these technological grids, but for a better harmonious way of life that appeals to them so just because we have the technology we don't have to live in these conditions we can start to think and create conditions for ourselves using their technologies if we have let's say localized energy grids um, localized communications um, renewable energy uh, we can still live global lives communicating across the globe um, having latest technologies information but we don't have to be in this 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 kind of hyper real bubble this hyper normal bubble and i think this is the question which um we need to ask ourselves how do we use technology to create a lifestyle which is more in keeping to the human rhythm to the human development and to our to our sync of of evolution of the human and not just not without thinking being taken down this technological road which is actually entrapping us rather than than liberating us and i think that's the question there greg
0: Closing thought Kingsley uh, when we last spoke back in 2014 uh, we were talking about your book The Phoenix Generation and you felt that their impact would really begin to show itself around 2030 I know that was just a date and you are not to be necessarily held to that when we look out uh, today quite often I I often think we've got a sort of more of a headless chicken generation currently Uh, so how do you feel about what you wrote then in terms of where what's happened in the intervening years where we're headed
1: Mm. well overall i'm still positive and i still feel that the there's a segment of the younger generation growing up who by around 2030 will be uh, more participating in in uh, social events and projects Um, but i see that it's not going to happen in any uniform way and this this crass of uh, mainstream life mainstream narrative Mainstream technological propaganda. It, it's spreading faster than perhaps I anticipated when I was thinking of writing that book around t- um, 2012. And so, but I do agree that I do feel it's going to come, but I think we're going to see more as the anomalies. So it's not going to just be uh, a, sh- a shift over through society. I think we're going to see more the anomalies coming in pockets. And this is also, I, I do sense that a lot of these great projects going on around the world, and they are going on, but they're being marginalized. They're not part of, of mainstream information or main news they are happening in. Perhaps they are part of the invisible spectrum as well. So I do have faith that they're coming along, but it's not going to be, it's going to be uneven. Um, it's going to be bumpy and it's probably going to take a bit more pushing than we anticipated
0: kingsley today we've been talking about ideas and themes drawn out in your new book bardo times that's available everywhere just before we sign off tell listeners about your website and anything else you'd like to share
1: well that's greg um, my website is kingsleydennis.com so just google my name kingsley dennis and you perhaps find it i have about 50 articles um, all downloadable to read as well um, so the. Information there. And you can find me on YouTube. And I've just released an album, by the way, which you can find on Bandcamp as for free streaming and on Spotify. Um, the album is Bardo Times. I've put some of the, my chapters into music with a colleague of mine, Hydro Cognitiva. So, um, listen to that as well and, um, do your own homework, make your own mind up and don't take what I say as the word. Find it out for yourself.
0: Splendid. Well, Kingsley, once again, thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com.
1: Thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure and I hope uh, it won't be the last time.